Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Welcome to Censored, and thank you for joining me on my time travel into the minds of prudish Irish censors. My name is Aoife Vrtnach, and I'm reading banned books through a curtain of moral indignation to see what it feels like to think like a censor. So far, I can say that censors were obsessed with sex and bodily functions. The Irish censors also suffered from a near-fatal lack of humour. They were the kind of men I would leave the country to avoid. Unfortunately, their decisions to ban thousands of books shaped the country I grew up in, so I cannot dismiss them out of hand. But fortunately, they banned such a wide variety of books that I can have lots of fun reading what they hated. This episode's book, Pleasure Ground, from 1961, is one of many, many books written by Ori Hitt, who, fueled by iced tea and cigarettes, could write a book a fortnight at his kitchen table. Hitt wrote for cash, not literary repute. He was paid per book, so he wrote 150 books over a 14-year writing career. Pleasure Ground isn't widely reviewed on the various websites that discuss Hitt, but it is freely available on archive.org, which is why I chose to read it. None of Hitt's works are available in the Irish public library system, By the time bans expired on his work in the 70s and 80s, this genre of pulp or sleaze fiction was pretty unfashionable. Like all those cheap, easy-to-read, mass-market books, Pleasure Ground is not a challenging read. It's not supposed to be, but that doesn't mean it's also not a pleasurable or interesting read. And thankfully, its literary merit has nothing to do with its smut content. If I had to stick to proper literature for this podcast... I'd have no fun at all. The plot centres around Bert Forbes, a brawny, working-class bloke who works on a farm for Flint Collins, a mean, cheating miser who happens to be married to a hot 20-year-old babe. Bert is a big guy, and I'm not just talking about his shoulders. To be fair, Hit doesn't actually say Bert has a big cock, but the women eyeing him appreciatively and commenting on his size are not just talking about his hands. So the basic plot is that Bert is irresistible and the ladies are all gagging for it. This leads to various complications, moral debate and lots of tension. So the tipple of choice for this episode is a cold beer or a cold coke. 
Hit's farm workers are outdoors under the blazing sun all day and long for a cold drink. This is America before air conditioning in homes, cars and businesses transform daily life. High temperatures, sweaty bodies and scanty dresses go perfectly with a cold drink where the condensation runs down the side of the bottle. I really liked the heat-saturated atmosphere of this book, actually. It's very evocative. Admittedly, for an Irish reader like me, tropical levels of heat will always be incredibly exotic. It's only hot here for two weeks a year, and even then not altogether. But I still subscribe to the myth of sexy summer days, which makes Hit's characters seem hot in all meanings of the word. So, if you crack open a chilled beverage and put your feet up, we can begin this investigation into the smut levels of Ori Hit's pleasure ground. As usual, I asked the question, why was it banned? Honestly, the cover alone was probably sufficient to get it banned. It shows a naked, red-haired woman strategically covering herself with a large cloth, while a smirking, gloomily drawn bloke in the background eyes her up and down. There's enough side boob on show to make it mildly titillating today, but I can only imagine this would have made the Irish censor of 1961 hyperventilate. Colourful, garish covers, with as much female flesh as possible on display, were central to the appeal of sleaze or pulp fiction such as hits. I wonder did people tear the covers off and stick them on the walls or in cupboards after they'd finished reading them. But let's see if the book lives up to the smutty promise of its cover. Sure enough, Hit delivers in the first paragraph where the main character, Bert, describes a neighbour, Lucy, like this. I looked across the field, over into the scrub that was growing up in the next farm, if you could call it a farm anymore, and I saw the girl walking towards the woods. From that distance, I couldn't tell much about her, not with the sun so bright, but I knew what she was like all right. This girl, this Lucy Martin, was blonde and lovely, and she had the build of those nude girls you see in the men's magazines. Long hair and smoky eyes, breasts that were big and full and ripe, a stomach that was almost nothing at all, and hips that made your blood pressure leap above normal when she moved. You gotta love this for its hyper-unrealism. She's a walking pin-up girl, so there's no need to spend much time discussing exactly why she's hot. And she's an anatomical miracle, since she's walking around with no stomach at all. Bert had already met Lucy at a dance in the town earlier, and the first thing she said to him was, You're big. You're the biggest man here. So, within the first few lines, we have learnt that Lucy is smoking hot, and that Bert is big, the biggest guy around. Very quickly, Hit establishes that sex, the promise of it, and the physicality of it is going to be the story. It's not part of the story or a way of talking about other things. Sex is the story. I like this refreshing bluntness and how straightforward the reading experience is. The cover promises sex and the first page establishes that sex will preoccupy the main characters. It's good marketing. Nobody would have kept buying Pulp Fiction if the covers were simply teases. And Hit wouldn't have made a living as a writer if his books hadn't been saleable commercial commodities. The writers, publishers and consumers of Pulp Fiction all wanted a quick hit. 
these books are not particularly subtle about sex. That's not to say that it's full of explicit sex scenes. It's not, but there are frequent and regular mentions of sex, mostly imagined or recalled in Bert's fevered brain. And this is an example from page 13. When Bert is drooling over Lucy's legs, he has a flashback to sex with Emily, his ex-wife. She moved her legs, and I remembered Emily's legs, her body twisting and frantic on the bed, her pleas filling the room as she asked for the light to be left on. And that's it. The author just stuck a raunchy scene in the middle of a page of ordinary dialogue. He just leaves the reader hanging and moves on with the plot. I don't think that's fair. And that Bert thinks about his ex-wife, whom he spends the entire book refusing to have sex with, is kind of odd. Unfortunately, Emily is a pretty desperate character. She has followed him to this middle-of-nowhere small town, begging him to get back with her. She's not even looking to get married again. She'll take what she can get, as she says. She's hanging for it, and Bert is so smoking that sex with him is apparently better than nothing at all. One of the characteristics of the women in this book is their frank communication about their sexual desires. They ask men to sleep with them, openly and bluntly, which is great. It would be even better if they didn't beg for it and continue to beg for it when Bert says no. This feels to me like a reworking of the standard romance trope, where women desperate to get married single-mindedly pursue men. In this narrative, sex replaces marriage, but the women remain supplicants to men in control. I really wish Bert's charms had been sketched out a bit more, because it's hard to understand why all the women throw themselves at him. There aren't many thrills in this book if it's the male body you're looking for, because apart from Bert's bigness, we know little about his appearance or that of any of the other men. You're not told if Bert had good cheekbones or soulful eyes or a cheeky smile. He's big, that's all that matters. Actually, this reminds me of the heroes in Forever Amber from episode 4. They were also big men. But poor Bert has been persecuted by women desperate for a shag since he was 16. The narrative is written from his point of view, and he seems remarkably humble for a stud muffin. In fact, he seems a little weary of the complications sex causes in his life. Here he is on page 39, describing fighting off the ladies when he was a teenager. Because of my size, some of the girls had been interested in me, but I'd stayed away from them. Okay, we get it, he was hung like a horse. Fine. In contrast to the eluded sexiness of the main man, the women's assets are frankly described, measured and annotated. And this is the description of Lucy's nude body from page 10. She was in the chair, nude all the way, her head thrown back, her blonde hair hanging down in long waves. The chair was in the sun and the heat from it washed over her. Her legs were straight out in front, her stomach sucked in as though somebody had punched her, her firm breasts that were tipped with red thrusting proudly upward. Is like a punched stomach a normal simile? Seems kind of strange to me. Also interesting that she's holding her gut in even though she doesn't know anyone is watching her. Bert does actually shag Lucy quite early on, and it's a sex scene characterised by resistance on her part and determination to get her naked on his. And this is the sex scene between Bert and Lucy from page 42. 
She looked a question at me, but I said nothing. Nice girl or not, I was a man with all the urges of a man. I couldn't change that. She protested a little as I leaned over to kiss her, but it was simply the natural protest of a decent girl and it didn't mean anything. Just to be clear, for about a page and a half, she keeps saying no, it's wrong, and he keeps taking her clothes off. I'm not sure this would qualify as sexy these days. The worst part is that throughout the book, Bert says no to sex with other people repeatedly, but women do not get to refuse him. Funny how all this no means yes shit applies only to one gender. Anyway, let's get back to the sex scene with the questionable content. Once Bert gets her out of the dress, on page 45, the scene runs on like this. Don't make me sorry, she said when she was in my arms. Don't ever make me sorry. I didn't make her sorry, only at the start. She cried out with pain, but soon her kisses, frantic and wild, told me that the pain was gone, that only the female of her lived to rise to the heights of glorious passion. Minutes later, she scaled the heights, clinging to me, her teeth buried deep in my shoulder. It's wonderful, isn't it, how sex makes Lucy all woman more woman than she was before. It's the healing magic cock that we met in episode four all over again. Honestly, I prefer explicit sex scenes because describing the physical act obliquely just reveals some nasty gender stereotypes. Oh, and he fixes her car afterwards because women can't do car mechanics even though they understand washing machines and the like. I shit you not, Bert actually says that. Hi, I'm DeLon Grant. And I'm Francesca Ramsey, and together we host the podcast Let Me Fix It. Each week we explore something from the past, and then we pitch how to fix it for today. But forget about the past, let's talk about the new show of the moment. DeLon, did you get a chance to watch the new Queenie trailer I sent you? How dare you send me this amazing <laughs> show that took me back to every messy breakup I've ever had. Thank God I had you through my 20s. Now, you could not pay me to go back and relive those days, but thankfully, we will be living as Queenie navigates her messy 20s. All episodes of Queenie premiere June 7th streaming on Hulu. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. And now it's time to turn to nearly sex scenes for some smut. There are a lot of times when Bert is propositioned and says no. The raunchiest of those is when Sharon Collins, his employer's wife, attempts to seduce him in a car. Bert lusts after her, but is terrified that shagging will lead to violence between himself and Flint Collins. 
So, when on page 55 she puts her hand between his legs and purrs, Bert, what are you waiting for? He starts the car to escape her wandering hands. Sharon, a woman who knows what she wants, is not put off by this. And I'll read you what happens next. Look what you missed, she said as I drove toward the farm. I looked. Her dress buttoned down the front and she had opened it up. She was wearing one of those bras that hooked in front and she had opened that too. She was all naked up there, her hands cupping her breasts, the wonder at her being so big causing my head to throb. Cripes, I breathed. After that, I drove like a maniac. That's just rude of Sharon. She needs to keep her tits to herself. So Sharon is a complete vamp, but a vamp with a plan. She wants Bert to help her kill her husband so she can inherit all his money. The entire plot of the book is that Bert is torn between two female characters. A femme fatale who's literally bursting with dangerous sexuality and a hot girl next door who's also a good girl. His ex-wife is looking for sex from him as well, but he's not even remotely tempted, so that's more of a side plot. Bert spends most of the book dithering over what to do about these sexy women desperate for a piece of his ass. And it's a surprisingly moralistic debate. He knows he has betrayed Lucy by seducing her when he wasn't entirely serious. But he also knows that Sharon represents nothing more than his basest desires for sex and revenge. He just has to decide which choice to make. This tussle gives the narrative its most curious feature. It's full of sex, but held together by unresolved sexual tension. It's quite something to combine sex and the promise of sex successfully. I'm impressed by Hit's balancing act. But the absolute funniest part of the book is the starring role played by the prize bull. The minute the menacing bull appears at the beginning of the book, I knew he had an important role to play in the story. And Hit did not disappoint. The bull is a smouldering sexy beast lurking in the barn, the embodiment of virility and violence. It's just perfect and so much fun. The evil Flint Collins is very proud of his pedigree bull, so proud that he drinks in the barn all night while staring at it. He even neglects his shaggable young wife to spend time out there. Very symbolic stuff there. The wife wants Bert to kill Collins using the bull, making it look like an accident. To cut a convoluted story short, Collins is killed by the bull, but not in the way you expect. You just have to read it yourself to find out the precise plot twists as to how Collins ends up dead. I think it's pretty obvious from this highlights tour of Pleasure Ground why it was banned. The saucy cover did accurately describe the contents. The sexually forward and murderous Sharon Collins practically bursts out of her clothes every time she appears in the text. I think her fleshiness symbolises her sexual incontinence, but maybe I'm reading too much into it. After all, the book's titillation is mostly found in the descriptions of hot babes rather than explicit accounts of sex. In fact, I would say that the story owes more to mainstream morality than a transgressive version of sex and sexuality. In the end, Bert chooses the nice girl, becomes a farmer and has babies with Lucy. Temptress Sharon is horribly disfigured in a car accident, so she pays for her sins with the loss of her beauty. The story concludes with order restored and the nuclear family wins out. 
it's hardly threatening to the natural social order beloved of so many conservatives. And given that Hitt wrote pretty formulaic books, Pleasure Ground should not be seen as a strikingly unusual work for him. But in spite of this pretty standard morality, the Irish censor hated Ori Hitt. I've counted 33 Ori Hitt books on the blacklist so far, and I know that's not all of them. Hitt was one of many authors who made a living writing for this cheap paperback market. The censor also banned his contemporaries, Hank Jansen and Day Keane. The authors banned most frequently in Ireland were all pulp writers. It's hardly surprising given how many books each author actually wrote. These cheap, mass-market paperbacks were extremely threatening to the public morality envisaged by the Irish censor. I think these books would have been wildly popular in Ireland, a country that was very familiar with American culture. Emigrants went back and forth between Ireland and America, political networks, letters and money crossed the Atlantic. Ori Hitt's books would have been a welcome counterpoint to the valorisation of American culture. A lot of his characters are nobodies, men and women who work at low-status jobs, living lives of quiet desperation. None of the people in Pleasure Ground are doing well. Their cars are old and unreliable. The work is hard and poorly paid. The only real consolation they have is the human drama around sex and relationships. It might have been good for Irish readers to see this side of America represented in books. But the moral compass of Ori Hitt was not sufficient to compensate for the frankly scandalous amount of sex in his books. Unfortunately for Irish readers, Hitt's morality was inherently bound up with smut. The hero had to choose between two competing versions of sex to reach the morally correct happy ending. No Irish censor could tolerate this frank discussion around sex, even if he hadn't also thrown in actual sex scenes. In most of his books, the sex was not explicit, though a later book, Panda Bear Passion, does use the word cock. This book is now highly collectible for the cover rather than the writing. Believe it or not, Panda Bear Passion features a girl who gets herself off using a stuffed toy. The cover shows a very naked blonde with pneumatic boobs cavorting with an actual toy panda. And I think I'll save it for another episode because it looks wild. I don't know whether to recommend Pleasure Ground to you or not. The sexual politics are awfully conservative. But it's snappily written and very atmospheric. If you fancy light entertainment on the plane or train, you can safely read this one without scandalising anyone who peeps over your shoulder. Pleasure Ground has a straight-to-the-point style, while the plot offers ample opportunity for lustful thoughts and sweaty shenanigans. It's fun if you can ignore the rape culture stuff. And if you read one Ori hit, you may not need to read many more. After I read this one, I started Untamed Lust, and it was pretty much the same love triangle with a big man in the middle. But that's an observation, not a criticism. The whole point of genre fiction is that familiar tropes are comforting. You could do worse than read an Ori hit book on a rainy Sunday afternoon. At the very least, you'd be swept away to a heat-soaked America where all the women are boobalicious and the men are big and noble. 
But the best thing about Ori Hit's Pleasure Ground is that it's perfect for censorship bingo. It contains lots of smut, so I'm really hoping for a high score. So get out your bingo cards and let's go. On the first line, there's no masturbation, no genitalia. Isn't it interesting that there's so many occasions of sex, but there's no actual reference to genitals? And that sex-obsessed Bert didn't have a wank is frankly a miracle. There's no bestiality, though who knows what Flint was up to in the barn with the bull. Uh, Sex work, yes, there is sex work. Bert's ex-wife, Emily, is apparently working as a sex worker. Extramarital pregnancy, definitely one of the major plot points is that Flint Collins' poor dowdy daughter gets pregnant by one of the other farm workers, but the narrative offers no judgment. Bert says, maybe you could blame him or the girl, but that wouldn't solve the problem. In Ireland, up until quite recently, this pragmatic shrug was an entirely unacceptable reaction to a terrible sin, sex before marriage. In 1961, this statement would have stunned most Irish people into shocked silence. No contraception for all the sex that's going on. Graphic violence, yes. There's a fair amount of pummeling with fists in the second last chapter. Infidelity, obviously Sharon Collins doesn't take her marriage vows seriously. Racism. Funnily enough, there's no ethnic or racial tension at all mentioned in the book. It's just entirely parked. Divorce. Bert himself is divorced. Orgies. No, no group sex. Sexual assault. Well, a fair portion of the sexual encounters in the book are a bit rapey. The no means yes rubbish that makes Lucy a good girl worthy of marriage is truly disturbing. The bad girl, Sharon, is openly eager for sex with Bert, but she is properly punished for her forward ways when her husband rapes her near the end of the book. So yeah, there's lots of sexual violence in this book, from dodgy consent practices to outright rape. Swearing. Oddly, there's no swearing in this at all. There's a fair amount of disrespectful conversations between men about sex with women, but no actual bad language. That must be a conscious decision. Uh, There are no gay or queer characters, no menstruation, no oral sex, obviously no feminism. Breasts. Bloody hell, there are breasts everywhere in this book. The women are permanently about to burst out the seams of their dresses or fall out the sides of their halter tops. There is a profusion of tits. 10 out of 10 for boob content. Abortion. Surprisingly not. There's an extramarital pregnancy, but there is no discussion of termination. And then finally, crime. The murder plot hatched by Sharon is pretty criminal, so that covers that square. So Ori hits Pleasure Ground scores 8 out of 25 on censorship bingo. I'm surprised that the score is so low because it felt to me like it was smuttier than that. While there aren't a lot of different bingo squares to mark off, the sex is frequent and the boobs are everywhere. I suppose that makes the book seem raunchier than it actually is. The atmosphere of sexual tension certainly makes me think it's a rude book, but it's more titillating than explicit. Now the next episode will probably be very different. 
I'll be looking at Aldous Huxley's Point Counterpoint, which was published in 1928. Huxley is best known for writing Brave New World, which was also banned by the censors. Point Counterpoint wasn't banned until 1930. It was one of the first novels banned by the Irish state under the new stringent laws that would restrict reading for decades. It won't be a quick, easy read like Ori Hit, because Huxley had literary notions, but I'm hoping for some high-class smut. Until then, remember that consent is real and important and no never means yes. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.